finally it's here. Uh, I'm not talking about tax day, and I'm not even talking about post-game of Thrones Day, which we will get to in a moment. What I'm talking about is this is the very first, the debut episode, number one in the books of Jamel Hill is Unbothered. And as you can tell from my voice, I'm super hype and super excited to be here. Again, I don't know if part of this adrenaline is based off the fact that I don't owe any taxes, based off the fact that I'm still lit and hype from last night's premiere episode of the series finale of Game of Thrones, or the fact that after months and months of processing and doing and going in the lab and meetings and emails and all that other shit, finally I get to the part that I've been dying to get to, which is to talk to all of you who I'm hoping will be longtime, fervent, addicted listeners to the Jamel Hill is Unbothered podcast. Of course, this is not a project at all that I'm willing to take on by myself. This is not a journey that I want to be solo. And actually, to that end, let me, number one, start off by thanking everybody who was involved in terms of helping all of this come together. It was so many names that I could name. I don't want to forget anybody, but I think you know who you are. Um, If you've been behind the scenes and a part of this massive undertaking, a brand new step in my career for sure. Secondly, definitely want to thank my man, Leif Erickson, that wonderful music that you heard coming in. That is courtesy of him. He's a childhood friend of mine. We've known each other since the fourth grade. And I knew that whenever I embarked on my own endeavor I wanted to make sure that I was in a position to give people who I love and adore who I think are talented and awesome and wonderful a platform and an entry point so that you guys can get to know them and love them and respect their talent as much as I do and so to that end without further ado let me introduce my two wonderfully talented co-hosts who will again be embarking on this Jamel Hill is Unbothered journey and that would be Mr. Cole Wiley and Mr. Michael Arsenault thank you both are you guys ready for this I am hey hey we ready. <laughs> Let's go. I don't know. We're going we gonna to get ready if we're not ready, right? I'm more excited about this than tax day, but yes, I'm very happy to be here. Look, I wouldn't blame you, Mike, because Cole is not in the Game of Thrones hive, all right? Hey, look, don't be throwing yeah. shade the first episode. I wasn't throwing shade. I just wanted people shade. to understand. Okay, it wasn't yeah. shade. I just wanted people to know yes. that you, you weren't in the hive. And that's, you know, I don't say that trying to exclude you, yeah. but at least you're not one of these annoying ass people who not in the hive and want to be proudly boasting how they have never seen Game of Thrones and then try to ruin everybody else's fun. Well, I'm in rehab for Game of Thrones. I watched the first two seasons and then I cut it cold turkey because I don't know what happened. But, you know, I'm okay. I forgive you. Why would you cut it after two seasons? Well, I moved across the country. I got a few episodes behind. Then I got a few seasons behind. And then it's just I got a lot of work to do to catch up. But I'm going to catch up before it's over. Okay. Well, it's never too late. And I feel like, especially, uh, Cole, you as a filmmaker, that you really need to be in on this Maybe for educational reasons? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, it's hard to watch everything. There's just so much stuff. And I know God is great. And I've seen enough of it to know like what it's about. I just need to catch up. That's all. Yeah. Now, Mike, you are firmly a part of the Game of Thrones hive. I'm a new entrant. Yeah. Right? So I just got my membership because I'm very proud I finished. Thank you. I appreciate it. Look, it was it, it's one of the prouder things I've done. It took me a month. Uh, me and my wonderful fiance, we decided that this was going to be the, the house project. We were going to jump into Game of Thrones. We were going to commit 
And after the first few episodes, like a lot of people, I was struggling to keep up with all the incest. <laughs> okay. Wow. That was going on. Right. Struggling to keep up. I was like, wait, so that was such and such as daddy? Like, okay, I see how you're getting down. Um, and so I was struggling to sort of keep up whose houses belong to who and this and that. But once it started to kind of make more sense, and uh, generally as the plot thickened, so to speak, in many different ways, I became a full-fledged addict and finished uh, all seven seasons before season eight started, um, two or three days before the season premiere. Uh, so, you know, Mike, as a as a longer member of the Game of Thrones uh, hive, what did you think of the season premiere? It was great, but I knew it wasn't going to, like, blow me away. I knew they weren't, like, going to come out fighting off the bat. Um, I will say... I was always cool on Sansa, but I actually have to respect. Um, I am very disappointed in Danny because if she had said, I'm queen, you're queen one more time, it was given a lot of, and I love Nicki Minaj, but it was a lot of that, except without the <laughs> bars. And I was like, girl, shut up, we get it. Because your nephew that you fucking is really like, settle down. I was very much entertained. <laughs> Yeah, well, but speaking of that, don't you love how, and, and by the way, I mean, I guess I should have said spoiler alert, but to me, if you're a real fan, there's no way that that premiered and you haven't watched it yet. Like, short of some emergency, some cataclysmic, the, the apocalypse happening, there's no way you shouldn't have watched that. So if you're sitting there like, don't ruin it, don't spoil it, you better turn this shit off right now because I'm spoiling everything. <laughs> a year has gone by. If you didn't watch last night, I'm sorry, but and but you knew he, you knew he was fucking his auntie anyway. I didn't ruin it for you. Yeah, you did. Like, everybody knew that at the at the end uh, of season seven it, but there were clues even before then that something was up and that he wasn't Jon Snow or as people have come to know him as Jon Snow but I love how when Samuel told Jon hey man you the real you know heir to the Iron Throne and it, and he never even thought or it maybe it didn't dawn on him like yo I've been fucking my auntie like it never it's just like that's problematic that you and your auntie been getting down I'm I'm still disappointed that John doesn't realize he, like he, everybody has a little Beyonce inside of them and if you want to be like your best Beyonce you have to lean into your greatness and I think he kind of has but in that moment he should have like not really flipped his bang but like inside been like yes it makes sense <laughs> he you know what I mean? like it's bang. treason you can't that's because you you're in love with your auntie he's like yes he's dimming his life for her and like I get it I, I really do like her except last night but no it's for you not her because she already can't right. handle it yeah I mean he somebody uh, is a guy follow on Twitter who's, who's funny as hell uh, Dragonfly Jones he said this he called him the George Costanza of, uh, of Game <laughs> of Thrones because he's constantly yes, he kind of failing up right he's like every time he says he doesn't want the job then you discover that he has an, um, a, a more right, a rightful claim to the throne. It's like he's the most I ain't trying to be king ass king that ever lived. You know what I mean? It's like, like you said, embrace your inner Beyonce. Lean into your greatness. And he's starting to do it a little bit. But why do I get the feeling that because of his burgeoning love for Daenerys that he is going to figure out a way to try to fuck up being a king for her? And Sansa is going to step in like, bitch, no. Somebody's going to step in. He would he fails up a lot. He's he would do really well in American politics. <laughs> well, um uh, I hope you guys don't consider um this failing up 
<laughs> Speaking of which, um, embarking on this. And just to give people a little, before we kind of dive into our first topic, I just want to quickly give people a, a little bit of backstory about how this all came uh, together. And it really was, it's like we all speed dated each other. Like this was, mm-hmm. <laughs> this was pretty quick. <laughs> it was so quick and so fast. And um, I guess when you know, you know, you know, I guess to follow the theme of, of relationships. But uh, Cole and I, we had known each other for years, but had never actually met. Right. And when did we right. finally have that infamous? Um, I shouldn't say infamous, but you know that that uh, when we met for brunch at, at was it the Four Seasons? I think I know it sounds so so bougie and black. It was, we met at the Four Seasons. We sure did. Oh, fancy. So Cole and I met at the Bougie Brunch at Four Seasons mm-hmm. um, and, you know, just kind of hit it off uh, right away. And then once I moved to L.A., he was definitely on a very short list of people that I wanted to connect with right away. And we met for, um, you know, we went for, I guess, a breakfast brunch type situation, a coffee situation. Right. Trying to be real adult about it. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and so we met at a at a cafe, and Cole was telling me about uh, some of his film projects. Uh, and I was like, "Well, I got a project to tell you about too. It's called being my co-host on <laughs> Jamel Hill is unbothered." I was so caught off guard. I was like, "Wait, wait, wait! Chemistry test podcast? What are you coming at me with? I'm not ready for this." <laughs> but I'm glad that I'm here, and I thank you for the opportunity. You know, I've never been in a position where I've introducing to me myself to so many strangers before but uh it's good to be here and yeah i'm i'm, I'm with everything that we're doing yeah now now mike it was it was it was sort of similar he he and i have a lot of mutual friends um and i had obviously i'd heard of his name because of the mutual friends and read some of his work and he and i got an opportunity to do sylvia obell show on buzzfeed hella opinions talking about insecure which you know, when that uh, comes back this summer, you, you're going to hear a lot of breakdowns on the show of Insecure, I'm sure. And, um, you know, so the first time I met him, I mean, you know, they say first impressions are everything. And that's not to say if you didn't give me this impression that I would have thought you were less brilliant. But the first time I met you, I was like, oh, my God, he's so funny and brilliant. And I bought your book after that and made sure that I read it. We appreciate book sales. Yes. Oh, yes. And by the way, uh, shameless plugs all day long. If you haven't already, uh, make sure you buy Mike's book, I Can't Date Jesus. It was a New York Times bestseller. So you're talking about a real author here. Um, So anyway, we did did Hello Opinions (laughs) together and, um, you know, became uh, best friends. (laughs) But the next conversation, we texted a few times because I'm in the process of working on a book proposal and Mike was very gracious and kind enough to give me some direction in that end because I'd never written one before. And then, you know, after a a couple conversations, it was, hey, by the way, will you go with me and be on my podcast forever and ever? (laughs) I'm like, sure, babe. (laughs) Yeah. So it came together rather fast, but no less organically. So um, I think the cool part about uh, what we're about to do is that we will, for as much as we have been able to learn about each other, the fun part of this is discovering all the quirks and all the, you know, eccentric things that make you guys you. All the weird shit. Let's be real. <laughs> yes, all the weird <laughs> shit. But uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, people came here per all the the ads and the marketing for unpopular takes about popular topics. I don't know if there's necessarily that, 
right? That's like a hell of a billy. <laughs> right, right. We're going to blow but, your mind. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're going to blow your mind with all these hot ass takes that we have. But, <laughs> you know, I do have, I think, a bit of a a bit of a lukewarm, unpopular take about Tiger Woods, who a lot of people will think won the weekend because Ooh. he actually did finally win after uh, an 11-year drought. Um, he won the Masters. Uh, he hadn't won the Masters in 22 years. I remember when he first won the Masters, um, when he, I think, was 18 or 19 years old, and it was one of those incredible moments that, uh, you know, most sports fans and most people, you know, sort of never forget. But, um, yeah, so he, he won. It's been a long road for him. And it's it was kind of, I was, I don't know if happy is the right word to see him win. But I was glad that his career didn't end with him winless or end with people thinking of him as a shell of himself because he was such a great golfer for a long period of time. But I don't know. How do you, how do you properly put into perspective somebody winning who you don't really fuck with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that the thing with Tiger that people, I think a lot of people in the black community especially, they just hold on to the fact that he was just, he was able to excel in a space that black people were excluded from for so long. And personal messiness aside, people still have that like hope in that regard for, for him for that reason. Um, I don't really like the nigga, but I'm happy he won because I mean, there's only so much, I'm, there's only so much rooting I'm going to do for like one of Donald Trump's homeboys. That being said, to your point, like, yeah, he's black. That's the, the sport we're usually excluded from. The only black person I can think of that played golf before him was like Uncle Phil and Carlton Banks. So, <laughs> yeah. and, and to you, Jim, like, I wouldn't want him to go out like, you know, I love Bobby Brown mm. and he don't hit the note with Roni like he used to. And while I still sing along when he performs... It's not that, Bobby. So for Tiger to like to win another championship after so long, you know, like I actually think good for him, good for black people. But did it move me? Was I that happy? No, I just like saw it. I was like, good for him. And then I went about my black ass day because he don't really fuck with us like me like that. So there's only so much I'm going to give him. Mm. Not to be a wake linker, but yeah. Yeah. And I guess I, I can't, you know, I'm, I, I always feel uncomfortable about trying to rate and trying to weigh in on somebody else's blackness, but it just has always felt like there's been a distancing from him. Um, and yes. it, it's gone in and out at times because I certainly remember the Nike ad years ago where, he, you know, he talked about breaking barriers and he has discussed, you know, race before. And I don't mean the combination comment that he made many years ago uh, when he was talking to Oprah. I mean, he is representative of an America you know, that we have to understand and come to grips with where he is made up of a multitude of cultures. But it just always felt like in particular, he went out of his way to kind of not yes. be identified, you know, as black or to embrace any kind of, of black identity. Um, and yeah, the, the, the Donald Trump friendship is problematic for me. And especially yeah. as a person of color. And look, I know because people who support Donald Trump will forever use a Tiger Woods to, and much like yeah. when, you know, Floyd Mayweather was dapping him up, much like with Jim Brown, they will for Ben Carson name enter any of the black people that have been photographed or in Donald 
Trump's presence, they will always use him as a reason to say, well, this is why Donald Trump can't be a white supremacist or why he can't be racist because he plays golf with Tiger Woods. It's like, yeah, but if Tiger wasn't famous, I mean, how hard is it to be friends and be cool with famous rich ass black people? It's not. Okay, there's plenty of racist ass racists who are friends with and befriend famous black people. That doesn't mean anything. Well, I wouldn't say that like Tiger is at the extreme of like a Ben Carson or he's definitely not a Jackie Robinson. You know, he's somewhere in between. And, you know, we just it's either like you you (laughs) appreciate. Look, you appreciate his work for what it is. You don't necessarily have to like back him a thousand percent otherwise. I just want to, I don't question his blackness. We are not a monolith. We are all different types of black people. I, I get all that. I don't care what music he listened to, what food he eat, like who he did. Like that's not it. It's it's what, mm. to Jamel's point of like the willful distance. Mm-hmm. And while he might not be Ben Carson, I, but I actually don't know if he's not because I haven't heard him talk that much at length. But whenever he does talk about race or it has come up, he's not that far away because you can find plenty of like concerns to black people who point out racism and then you just anyone that would fuck with Donald Trump I just gotta keep you at bay again good for you that you won but you don't really fuck with me like that because anybody that really fucked with us like that would not be around Donald Trump right now facts but again like I'm glad he won after all those years good for him but it's just he's not the type of person I could ever get overly excited about particularly in this moment, because it's such a willful choice to align with sweet potato Saddam that is an unabashed bigot um it's a choice, and I, there's only so happy I could be for you. And yeah, I will say Tiger, Tiger Woods, y'all. I do appreciate that Chris <laughs> Rock thing. That's about as good as it gets. Basically, you're saying that Tiger and Kanye maybe are not invited to the cookout anymore. <laughs> oh, I don't even. I, actually, I will put. I'm. I'm. Will let it be known. Don't tell me about no cookouts. I know the blacks on Twitter love to have these <laughs> these imaginary cookouts who we invite, who we don't invite. I'm going to be at my fish fry chilling. Y'all do whatever the fuck y'all want. <laughs> Leave me be with that. Damn, he just stepped it up. He's like, nah, nah, I'm yes, going to be at the I'm fish, at the fry. fish I mean, fry with my Casamigos, not doing this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kanye, though, actually, Kanye is a really good example of this because, mm. you know, Kanye, obviously, brilliant musician. Um, he's given us, you know, we've all rocked out to his music for many years. I have not recently. Um, so I never even bothered with the last album or, you know, it's just nope. over time, he just emotionally exhausted me. And that that was pre all this Donald Trump, you know, Candace yeah. Owens madness. Mm-hmm. Like he yeah. he just is an emotionally exhausting person to yeah. to listen to, to. I mean, his music, again, was good, but just the personal stuff, he just be so out of pocket sometimes. I just don't feel like it. I'm just not in the mood. But... You know, at the same time, as to to what Mike said, it's like when you see somebody befriending or doing things that are problematic, it does, while you can appreciate the accomplishments in that space, it makes it harder. Because I see people like with his his weekly church sermons uh, in Calabasas or whatever, where he's rocking out and putting on these gospel performances. And I'm like, that's cool. And Again, music is his talent. I would never denigrate his ability, but do I really have to rock with it? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. well, you know the thing that's in common with I think like a Kanye and a Tiger is like I think that their ego drives them to greatness, but then after they get there, their ego gets in the way of being like at the level that they could be otherwise. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but I, you know, I think ego is a big part of it. I. For me, it's, it's, it's the coveting of a certain type of validation that is not 
really meant for us, but they have access to it and they have made a willful choice to be around it. But again, mm-hmm. if people want to go listen to hip hop David Koresh's and that choir singing SWV and shit every Sunday, good for you. Have a ball. I don't want to be bothered. Again, I'm in the corner drinking my Casamigos, waiting on a fish sandwich. I just don't want it. So I am really trying to just get over the fact that you just call him the hip hop David Koresh. <laughs> You, as, because as soon as I said it, you get it. I, yes. I, I, I've been calling that for a while. I had to think on <laughs> I had to go back in the middle row. I was like, who I was is like, David Koresh? David Kar- no, I know who David Koresh is. I'm getting older, that's, so that's, my, my reference is a little... That's Waco, Texas, right? Right. Yes, and I'm a Texan, oh, okay. so yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Anybody that knows that is definitely not... Their mind just got blown. <laughs> um, real quick, before we move on from Tiger Woods, because I got to I gotta get this bitch off. Um, uh, because, yeah, so as part of this whole... Um, you know, praise of Tiger Woods, which again, he deserves because my my mother went through the same back surgery that he had and she has not been the same. Wow. She's able to, you know, to walk and to function, but you know, it was a long rehab, like over two years. And so wow. him having multiple back surgeries, I understood the type of pain that he was in. And, and no, my mother is not at the physical fit, fitness level of what Tiger Woods was, who's in very you know, good shape, excellent shape. He certainly changed how golfers are perceived in terms of just being athletes. But because he sounded often like a broken man, one of uh, the last times I discussed uh, Tiger Woods on ESPN, who was a, a continual topic, you know, I said he should retire because he sounded like somebody who was broken. And he talked about how scared he was that at some point um, or how scared he was in general that he may not be able to play with his children because of his his severe back issues. And we know that there was some issues with pain meds and like he was just going through a lot. And I think that was pretty obvious. And so they ran this ad. I don't know if it was Nike or whoever it was. They ran this ad where they showed Tiger Woods all the people who said he should retire or that doubted him. And I was one of those people. In fact, I, I think I'm early... Uh, early at the top of this ad where I said the next words out of his mouth should be I'm retiring. And so I give you the full context of why I said that because I'm so tired. If another motherfucking Tiger Woods stand uh, tweet me and say that I need to apologize for doubting him, I swear I'm going to lose my mind. I'm just like bro, bro, it was an ad, number one (laughs) and two, understand the full context of why I was saying it. Matter of fact this is what I want people to 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 follow me with okay all right i i need y'all to to really listen closely how am i wrong for saying tiger woods should retire when tiger woods out of his own mouth said this was there a moment in your professional life where you thought this is it i'm done uh i would done 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 playing playing golf no playing competitive golf yeah. Yeah. So let me get this straight. I'm somehow wrong about being wrong about Tiger Woods when Tiger Woods himself said he didn't know if he would competitively play golf again. But I'm wrong. Look, it, as they often say, uh, your opinion changes as does the facts. The fact of the matter was two years ago, this dude was a broken dude. And all these people claiming that everybody doubted him. Nobody believed in Tiger. Nobody believed in Tiger. You didn't even fucking believe in Tiger. So don't be coming at me <laughs> with your, your little standing and your capes yeah. for Tiger yeah. Woods. He won. It's great. I'm happy his career can end on a positive note whenever it ends. All right. He wasn't thinking about my opinion. I ain't thinking about him. All right. So all y'all like call Tiger and apologize. 
don't have that man's number. And if I did, no, I ain't calling him. And no, I ain't wrong. And no, I ain't saying I'm sorry. I went with the facts at the time. And the facts of the time was Tiger Woods said himself, I'm thinking about retiring. So anyway, I just had to get that shit off my chest. Sorry. You, you, you just went off. <laughs> I had to. Damn, people. Hey, look. Because you got a few more days of that in your mention, so you might as well get it out of your system. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is, that was and this Excel. is why this shoot, podcast shoot, was created. Relax, relax, this release. is why. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, unfortunately, like, there's no easy way to kind of turn to our next subject, um, which is Nipsey Hussle. You know, obviously a lot of people uh, in L.A., around the world, um, but especially in L.A., um, where Cole is right now, um, taping this podcast uh you know it's just been a lot of emotions a lot of sadness uh, a lot of reflection for sure um you know a time to kind of recalibrate reassess his funeral services were held last week in los angeles the staples center i mean uh sold I, it feels weird to say a funeral was sold out but it was sold out in in 20 minutes um over twenty thousand people a lot of famous people that paid their respects from Snoop. I mean, just a, a list of, of A-list celebrities and, and hip-hop royalty that paid their salute uh, to Nipsey Hussle. For me, um, you know, watching the funeral, which was streamed live and um, on, I think, three different channels in, in L.A. Uh, so this was a, a really big deal. I mean, I can't, especially, I guess, in L.A., I don't remember a funeral being uh, or having this much magnitude and reach and attention, uh, maybe Michael Jackson, because Michael Jackson, I think, was the last. Yeah, it's just that. Yeah, I've never yeah. seen anything like that before in my life. The, the 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 legacy that this dude has left behind, the amount of love, the amount of love that people have for Nipsey, I don't know that I've ever seen that towards anyone, no matter how big of a celebrity they are. Because I feel like the people that really feel the way they do about Nipsey, they feel about him because of who he was as a person. And then who he was as a rapper and entertainer was second. I was actually at the Michael Jackson funeral um, in 2009 covering it for work. So it was interesting to watch that kind of juxtaposition because they were different. But the the core, like that outpouring of love was you don't see that often. Um, mm. I, was, I was moved by the graciousness of his mother. Mm. Um, listening to her speak explained everything that everyone says about him or has been saying about him. Um, it was very difficult to watch his children um, and Lauren London. That was really sad. And actually, you know, Mike, I'm going to stop you right there because you mentioned Lauren London. Uh, let's play a, a clip from uh, what she said uh, at his funeral uh, right now. We lost someone very rare to us and we lost a real one. And we won't ever be the same. But in Hustle's words, because he used to always say this, the game is going to test you, never fold. Stay ten toes down. It's not on you, it's in you. And what's in you, they can't take away. And he's in all of us. Yeah, Lauren, what Lauren did was really um, beautiful. Um, it was really thoughtful. I mean, not, like just I meant the children. That was beautiful, watching everyone. It was really sweet. I will, I will say... Um, I know he's an elder, or you know, but people still inviting Farrakhan to places. <laughs> like, why is he talking? I, I will say that. He said his name wrong, like, and eight I times. well, I'll put it like this. Um, I understood some pe queer people's issues with some of Nipsey's past comments. I personally wouldn't have made that an issue immediately after he was murdered and seeing how people were mourning. But I will turn in terms of optics, seeing Farrakhan for like multiple reasons. Um, I'm like, Ugh, we, we still invite you places. That's just my only thing, and that's really small. But the, the funeral itself was, from what I saw, was very lovely. Um, 
I, I feel really bad for what happened to him and I feel bad for his family. Um, but I personally, like, if I die anytime, don't invite Farron Khan to my shit. <laughs> okay. Don't let him talk. That's, that's duly he ain't noted. coming, but just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he did have Stevie Wonder perform at his funeral at the end, which I thought was amazing and incredible. And I thought that was a perfect way to cap off the whole event. I yeah. love how Stevie Wonder just shows up. Yeah. Stevie Wonder, I mean, I know because he's, he's obviously one of the most brilliant musicians that's ever lived. But Stevie been on quite a funeral circuit. And it's like, wow. Yeah, like, he go everywhere. Yeah, I mean, for real. Like, on. he has really been on one and um it's kind of a i know at some point he like damn can y'all call me like over something happy like why i've seen stevie wonder in the club once you saw stevie wonder in the club once i have seen stevie wonder in the club wait time out time out when i actually lived in la the first time you saw stevie wonder in the club yes i need all the details i need all all the details okay so let's let's be clear this is when i was 25 26 and then living in la so um I was probably drunk by the time I entered the premises. <laughs> but it's some club in Hollywood. It's probably not even there anymore. But definitely re- distinctly remember Stevie Wonder entering the club, being seated in a VIP area made for him, and being like, is that Stevie Wonder? <laughs> and then wondering, what does Stevie Wonder do in the club? He can't. <laughs> but then again, it's like, it's dark and shit. He ain't got to see it. So I just, I was like, Stevie Wonder's in the club. And I, I remember, I'm like, I'm going to go to the bar because... If he here, I'm, I know it's gonna be a long night. But he definitely was in the club. No, but I, I, but just in in general, I think uh, you know Nipsey's funeral and his death. I, I've been very fascinated by how much it's resonated. Of course, anytime any celebrity dies in a very unexpected way, especially somebody who's murdered right in the community that they were trying to save and empower. Um, but it felt like I think part of the reason why this reaction has been what it been what it is, is because there is a commonality to this story in our community that we sadly see all the time. We just know of Nipsey Hussle because he's Nipsey Hussle. But mm-hmm. seeing young black men in particular um, taken from us too soon, just as they were growing into their own talent is an unfortunately sad and common story. I wrote a a piece about it for the Atlantic and it was some, you know, black people that didn't appreciate the fact that I wrote it because I wasn't saying that black people are inherently violent or that we're more violent than any other race or culture, but culturally there are some you know, violent trends happening in our community that we cannot ignore. And the fact is the homicide rates for black men are still way too high. Um and it's way too much of a expected death when you look at the um, statistics and that those murders are not always coming by other black men. But just in general, the fact that black men being murdered is still a very real and dominant issue. And I, I think that's probably a big reason why you saw such an outpouring from people about Nipsey Hussle's death. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a combination of unnecessary violence and also, again, just how rooted Nipsey was and loyal to his community that he was. I mean, he just, he, he was a hero to L.A. And when they had that procession around the city, I think everybody felt his energy just kind of permeating through our neighborhoods. And it, it hurts, but that's the thing. is like hopefully we can carry on his legacy and move forward in a powerful way. I, uh, I, the, the conversation about gun violence within the community is kind of always a difficult topic because you have to first address the fact that people pretend that we are more inherently violent, so you are on the defensive. But there is space to talk about the the, the violence that happens within our community. And for me, it's still always like this. This is an inherent violent society in general. 
um, I I hate that someone that petty had such easy access to a gun to take down someone who, for whatever some criticism people had, was like evolving, doing really well for his community, and also had the space to grow, and that was taken from him. And there are a lot of issues kind of behind uh, black people, you know, in, in all communities, like shooting at each other, like the like in school shootings and all that stuff. I just really it still upsets me that we can't even get to that basic fact and then we could start having like these broader conversations but that we do need to talk amongst ourselves about the fact that black men are killing each other and this is what it does to us and that it's happening consistently because now it's it's, it was in the 90s and it was in 2000s now it's this and it'll be that and again and no one wants to kind of get get to the like the roots and that's very unfortunate yeah i've always um you know, I've always believed in there's certainly a lot of historical evidence to support it is that um, those oppressed began to take on the traits of the oppressor. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, Mike, violence is an issue in our country in general, gun violence in particular. But how and where and the, the prevalency and the disproportionate way that it's happening is also an issue. And so, um, you know, I just hope this does open a door for us to have a conversation about uh, gun violence in our community without feeling that pressure that as black people we feel about having these intra-community conversations because the white people listening it's like the white people they the white people that don't care about what's happening in the black community for they don't care so it doesn't really matter if we have that conversation in open view or not it's just right. we need to have it for the sake of the people who are dying in our neighborhoods and do what we can uh, to save people so that we don't see any more Nipsey hustles. All right. Um, we've talked enough about death. Now, uh, after the break, we're going to talk about something else that's often associated with death, and that's taxes. Y'all heard of it, death and taxes. So we'll talk about this tax day uh, when we come back. I know everybody, uh, a lot of people out there are, are kind of pissed off today. I would have been with you and been one of those pissed off people because today is motherfucking tax day. It's when our federal taxes, federal and state taxes are due April 15th. And look, let me tell y'all, my accountant, God bless him, because uh, he was able to... Um, you know, I don't want this to sound shady because it wasn't a loop, a loophole, but he just asked an additional question that wound up saving me a whole lot of money. Because had I not been able to answer this question or had he not posed this question, I should say, that's probably more accurate then I would have I would have wanted to whoop Donald Trump's whole orange ass because it was really about to be that critical. You know, like I I haven't owed federal taxes in a in a in a few years. Um I used to have some bad blood with the IRS. Oh. You know, um back in my independent contracting mm. days and for those mm. who aren't familiar, sometimes if you're a freelancer, if you're an independent contractor, you're responsible for um essentially taking money out. Um, mm. and, you know, sort of holding that and saving that to pay your taxes once they're due because uh, usually people are just paying you straight up and not taking the taxes out. So you have to be responsible enough, you know, to be able to take out uh, these taxes and put them to the side and, and, and then kind of pay later. But essentially, my answer to a question my accountant asked me was the difference between me getting a refund and owing the government 60 grand. 
Wow. And so when I say yo, that yo. I would have rolled up and whooped somebody's whole orange ass, <laughs> yo, I meant that <laughs> for real. And it's so like a lot of my friends have been, you know, complaining like uh, this new tax plan is some bullshit. Yeah. You know, with the it, uh, there's a certain percentage of people who are uh, obviously making out quite well with it. But, you know, my tax day uh, was was stressful until it wasn't. And so thankfully I was able to um, still get a refund. It's considerably reduced um, from the refund that I got last year, but I'm just, I'm just okay with the fact that, you know, um, uh, I didn't have to write that big check that I didn't want to write the government. What's always crazy to me is like the state taxes. They're always so weird. Like Connecticut owes me $5. Like what am I supposed to do with that? I never got money from the state of California when they owed me once. Like that was like seven years ago. So that that was another thing that tripped me out too. Is like I haven't been in Cali that long, and somehow I owe them. And I'm like, I've only been living here, so in those three months, you like wait, what happened? How? Right? You know what I'm saying? I was like, how sway? How do I owe you money? I don't understand. So um, <laughs> my birthday was Friday, April 12th is a blessed day. Um, tax day, April 15th is the worst fucking day in the history of days. I am an independent contractor. I fucking mm. hate dealing oh, with taxes. Oh, I feel your struggle already. I am very angry that I am not just a W-2 bitch because life would be much simpler. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm still, like, literally learning how to deal with all this stuff. It makes you feel like a bad adult. Why do I even have to give money? Well, that, that sounds too Lauren Hill, and I don't want to get in trouble. But I'll just <laughs> say every tax season, I turn into young Ted Cruz. And be like, abolish the IRS. <laughs> and one day I hope to join you in the 1%, Jamel. And when I do, I pray to God that I end up, end up becoming a Republican. Because if it weren't for the racism, sexism, xenophobia, um, homophobia, transphobia, um, bad choice, <laughs> and reality stars, I would be right. fucking <laughs> conservative. Uh, um, That's a long list. <laughs> I that was a long list. I'm sick of this shit. But no, you know what all that said? <laughs> I'm almost like, bitch, disrespect me as long as I ain't got to pay this much this time. Like, I, it gets, it makes me feel this way every April 15th. Um, so please pray for me right now because it is literally to the last second. Like, how much I got to give them? Can we work this out? Wait, I ain't yeah. got no more deductions. Don't I get a black tax? Like, help me out. This is terrible. Help a black tax. Everybody's miserable today. And I feel bad for everyone because it's just, this is the worst day of the year universally for everybody. But you talk about being an independent contractor, Jamel, and I, you know, I am one too. But, you know, when you have a business, you actually have to file in March. So I always had to get yeah. my tax earlier than done earlier than normal. But then I remember one year, I had two hard drives with failed. It had all of my stuff on it, like work, all of them everything and the irs i tried to tell them that the shit fucking just blew up basically and they were like hmm you still owe us thousands of dollars yeah they don't care <laughs> like, yo. they know they really don't they're not here for the sound they don't story. care like, if your life care. is in crisis no where's my money other people dealing with this i stand with you in <laughs> a face full of tears abolish the irs i get it ted cruz um it's the one compliment i'll give them <laughs> 
Yeah. I shed a thug tear for everyone going through stuff like that. I do. Anybody that had to write write a check today or has had to to write a check to the the government throughout this process, uh, I feel for you. I've had to write that check before, and, you know, they have come for me when I definitely didn't send for them. So if you in that trouble, just know that, like, my spirit is with you and you will persevere. Now, somebody that I'm sure is not having to write those kind of checks to the government um, is Magic Johnson, my Michigan State brother. Mm. Uh, And for those who may have missed it, but it was everywhere, so I'm sure you didn't. Last week, Magic Johnson quit his job in one of the most trifling ways that I've ever seen. It was so trifling. It was so trifling, I had to respect it. You know, you ever run into that when somebody does something so trifling, you're like, damn, I kind of respect that, though, even though it's trifling, right? He had the most gangster-like walkout ever. Ever. He just basically <laughs> walked up and was like, I just want to be magic, baby. No, I just want to tweet. That's what he I said. Tweet. <laughs> I want to He just said, I want to like, live my best life. I'm sorry. I want to live my best life, so I'm out. And, you know, he stepped down as Lakers president, and it was, he held an impromptu press conference, and he basically, uh, he told the media right there, he was like, yeah, uh, I ain't even had a chance to talk to Jeannie Buss, Jeannie Buss, the Lakers owner about this, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm stepping down as president right now, so, uh, you know, because I just want to be magic, and everybody was like, wait, what, is this happening? Yeah. Like this. <laughs> Yo, I'm going to say that anytime I don't want to do something in life now, y'all just inspire me. I'm just like, I just want to be magic, and I'll just out, just leave. No, you can put your own name in it and be like, I just want to be cold. Like, I, I just I just need to be cold, and that's why I'm quitting. It's right? fair. I mean, that's, he like, used his own name. I feel like it sounds better when you say magic, but I mean, I guess I could do it with Cole. It was a very wealthy way yeah. of being. But it's right like now. more power to it. If you're like, you know what? I just want to be magic. And everybody's like, okay, I get it. <laughs> Can I just shout out the Taylor Michael Scholars from Magic Johnson Foundation? He gave me some scholarship money, so I try to be nice. They used to, he'd like call him Daddy Irv. Um, I'm not going to do that um, now, but yeah, that was wild to watch. He just was like, yeah, I don't really like doing this. this I just want to go back it's to being right. rich and He was like, nah, I'm good. You know, like, being a Twitter nigga is fun. This is more fun than this. I, that, He's like, I wish I could quit something like that. That's what I was going to ask you guys is like, have you have you ever been able to kind of, I would say quit in a trifling, but like, have you left a job like in a trifling manner that might not have been exactly like that, but been able to say or do some semblance of that for a job you just didn't give a fuck about? Twice. Twice? He said twice. Um, twice. twice? Not just once. I worked at a movie theater in a, um, a well-to-do neighborhood, and the treatment was a little um, different because of the complexion, so I, did, I didn't want no more parts of that um, and got another job. And then one day I was a writer. But how did, but how did you tell him that you were leaving? Oh, I was like, I'm, I'm not coming back. <laughs> then I was an assistant, a writer's assistant on a TV show one day. It was actually called Detroit 187. Um, I felt bad, but I... Oh, I remember that. I They were like, the whole day went by, they were like, oh, this is so great. Like, you were great. And then I did let me more of the math and realized there was no way I was going to be able to do this $28,000 a year job and pay them private loans mm. that were already hounding me and being like, we're going to fuck up your mama and you cre- your, your credit. So I was like, yeah, I can't mm. do... They, after they were like, you were so great. I was like, I'm so sorry. I just don't think this is going to work out. And went back to freelance and then, you know, crying about the IRS, but... I made more money so I could pay my bills. They were not happy. I'm I'm sorry for the people that stuck out their neck for me, but you know, I just wanted to be magic and I couldn't do it in that setting. 
I wish that I had a story where I said something similar to that. But, you know, I never like just I mean, I've left jobs before, but I felt like all the jobs I had at the time I needed. I was never in a in a situation like Magic or let's say like Barack Obama where you have a job. It's cool, but you have a job that's better, which is basically just not do that job anymore and be rich. I've never been in that situation before. (laughs) So it's a very different thing. So that's what but that's what made Magic stunt level so amazing because everybody knows like he's basically you know kind of a pretty much a billionaire with his other businesses that had nothing to do with the Lakers yeah he's more powerful when he's not there precisely and he was just like you know he had to pick between one or the other um and you know the thing is this this is why I laugh at people who say if they hit the powerball they would go to work the next day I'm like have you lost your fucking mind like nobody's doing that (laughs) you know what I mean it was like magic was essentially the dude who had already hit the lotto he had this other job that he was coming to every day that he didn't need and he may love the Lakers and want to see them successful but at the end of the day after he like shit LeBron hurt I don't know this Anthony Davis thing didn't happen I don't know if free agents coming I just want to be Magic. Like, yeah. he just well, he's such like, a nice co- guy, though. Like, for? everything I've always heard about Magic is that he's such a nice person, and he, but he can literally get away with anything for being who he is. He just is such a nice guy that people don't expect him to do just random dick moves like he just did. Like, I'm gonna just quit. <laughs> Those Powerball people are annoying. That's not admirable. But you're going back to work. Become a philanthropist or something. Be like Magic Johnson and be rich. That's what I expect for rich people to do. I don't want to do this. I'm stressed. I'm rich. I don't need to do this. That's what I expect from my well-off people. Don't go to work. Magic, we ain't mad at you. Everybody knows that we ain't mad at Magic. You know, it's just like, oh, it's he just being magic and then we move on. Anyway, uh, so we're going to wrap this up. And uh, when we come back, we're going to get to a segment that you can look forward to every podcast that we're calling Fuck It, I'm Bothered. And uh, we'll explain that in a minute. So one of the staples of the Jamel Hills Unbothered podcast, so we're hoping it becomes a staple. Um, no, matter of fact, it, is, it will be a staple. I'm going to put it into existence. Uh, it's, a, it's a way we want to wrap up the show, which we call Fuck It, I'm Bothered. Um, obviously, the name of the podcast is How Unbothered We Are, but there's some shit that does really bother us. And so we felt like this is our opportunity uh, to tell you about the things that bother us, not that you haven't been listening to us you know, discuss our emotions and details up to this point. But this is meant to be a shorter, condensed version of the shit that bothers us. So, all right, Cole, you have the first ever Fuck It, I'm Bothered. Fuck it, I'm bothered, y'all. And I'm going to tell you why. Uh, y'all going to have to excuse me in advance because I know I'm going to get pretty worked up over this. I want to talk about a very serious crime that's happening in every city across America every day. It impacts every community. Ladies... Stop making dudes go in your purse to find that shit that you know that you already lost. Look in my purse is no as a phrase that no man wants to hear. You know we don't want to go in your purse. Just go in my purse and find it. You know I'm not going to find it. I know I'm not going to find it. And I'm definitely going to see some shit that I don't want to see or find some shit that I don't want to find. Fuck it, I'm bothered. Okay. <laughs> I, I went off. I'm sorry. Well, well but said. Shit, hey, I'm, I can't do it. All right, Mike. Fuck it, I'm bothered by the people who took issue with uh, Dwayne Wade and uh, son going to uh, Miami Pride with his family, including Gabriel Union, um, and that his parents were celebrating him. I think it's interesting how some people think 
you can speculate on a child's sexuality, but you assume that child wouldn't know who he is. I knew I was gay at six. And if I had loving parents like that, if I had uh, mom and dad championing me like that, my life would have went much smoother. So fuck you for worrying about that child. Fuck you for immediately assuming some child who knows that they like someone of the same gender is more worse. Like they assign, they, they assign a perversion to knowing your sexuality in a way that they don't do to straight kids. So I just found that really disgusting and despicable. I wrote a very nice piece about it um, on Oprah Mag, but what I really mean is fuck y'all. So I just wanted to get that out. Like I love Oprah, but she won't let you say that. So shout out to Zion, shout out to Wayne Wade, shout out to Gabrielle Union, shout out to the whole family. Fuck y'all if y'all criticize that child just being happy with who he is and the way God made him. Yeah, and you can, uh, what'd you say, check out your piece on uh, Oprah.com? Mag, that's a nicer version, but the, this is a very succinct. I, it's really fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> if only you get a real love language. in your byline, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, fuck it. I'm bothered, and I can't believe I'm about to do this, but I'm actually about to defend Candace Owens, and I can't stand myself oh. right now. But fuck it, I'm bothered by the folks that immediately uh, after her problematic testimony on the hill she was invited i don't know why to talk about white supremacy and the rise of white nationalism and they thought she would be an example of somebody who could expertly speak to this phenomenon mrs racism is no longer alive in this country despite the fact that when i was a teenager i sued the school district over something racist that happened to me but somehow in the 20 years or so since she graduated from high school it doesn't exist but that's not the part that i'm bothered about i'm bothered about the fact that especially when it comes to women, definitely when it comes to women of color, when we disagree with them, which we have every right to disagree with her problematic ass views, uh, we immediately start going in on people's looks. And while, again, I don't fuck with this woman on any level, all right? Her opinions are trash to me. That's cool. She's allowed to have them. Do you be the best you get it how you live. But it quickly delved into her split ends, her perm, and all this other shit. And it was like, all right, y'all, like at some point, we have to stop going to the lowest common denominator, which is going in on a woman's looks just because we don't like what she has to say or because she just has an opinion. Period. I've seen it happen a lot uh, with a lot of other people, um, women whose opinions I actually do respect. Um, and it, it bothers me whenever that becomes kind of the main focus over. She has given us plenty of, of material to just go in on her views. Plenty. So to go in on her looks, I thought that was unfair. So and I just am now I'm bothered by the fact that I actually defended Candace Owens. Good Lord. This is this is messed up. Plot, so plot twist. <laughs> this is this is messed up. She's a horrible human being who I like to pretend <laughs> isn't alive. But to your point, it's very fair. That's valid. You uh, like uh, split ends aside. Yes. I was like, split ends aside, y'all. Like split, let's, <laughs> Let me let's be keep clear. it away from that in the hair. Like I'm, you know, and in the overall appearance. We're not gonna go there. Like, all right, women are constantly judged and and and, and certainly our opinion or our uh, appearance is is scrutinized a lot more so than men so I was just bothered by that particular commentary feel free to go in on her about everything else trust me she left you a lot of material but just not about that anyway um, that concludes our very first fuck it I'm bothered at some point maybe we'll open the uh, open fuck it I'm bothered uh, up to the uh, listeners out there and let them get some things that are bothering them off their chest but we, we gotta see if y'all act responsible because God knows what we might get <laughs> 
get if we open that Oh, my that God. Up. I'm scared already. <laughs> right? But maybe at some point we might do that. And, and certainly um, guests that come on the Jamel Hill is Unbothered podcast, uh, you know, a few of them, I have a feeling, um, will be participating in Fuck It Unbothered. So we're going to make this a stable. That's how we're going to wrap things up. I guess we got number one in the books already. One down, a million more to go. Mel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify Studios and Unbothered Inc. and recorded and edited by Rich Burner and Cadence 13. It's hosted by me, Jamel Hill, Cole Wiley, and Michael Arsenault. Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Evan Dick is our executive producer. Jesse Burton is the executive producer for Spotify. And Denise Holly is the program manager. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. Jamel Hill.